Caleb City Church. Uh, welcome to everybody who's watching wherever you're watching. My name is Jason, and uh, I'm the pastor here, and just really, really excited that technology allows us to be together during this time where we're not able to be in the room together at our South Louisville location. Uh, we are together through technology, however you're watching. Um, whatever's going on around you right now, just thank you for being a part of church, taking time out of your Sunday morning uh, or whenever you're watching this uh, to, to be a part of the church. We believe church matters. We believe church makes a difference. And, uh, and we believe church is a family. And so thank you for being a part of that. We are continuing today a series of messages we've been in called Living on Empty. And we're going to talk about that in just a second. But before we do, I want to take this opportunity to, to tell you about two very important things that are happening at our church right now. Um, and the first is our Christmas services. We call them Christmas Eve services, but they aren't, aren't actually all on Christmas Eve. But our, our Christmas services, as you know, uh, we are worshiping and having church online only on the weekends through the remainder of the year, a decision we made uh, because of Governor Bashir's request and then just us trying to uh, be as wise as we can with everyone's personal safety and health. And so our weekend services like this morning uh, are, are online, but we are working very hard to be able to be together for um, our Christmas services. And so we are having Christmas services in person and we are setting them up in a way so that we can meet guidelines we feel like are incredibly responsible and, uh, and so I want to give you those times. We have five services currently, uh, Sunday, December 20th at 5 p.m. and 7 p.m., uh, December 23rd at 7 p.m., and December 24th at 5 and 7 p.m. Now, we started with three services. We've already had to add two just in the last 24 hours because you have to RSVP so that we can make the plans we need and make sure that it's as safe as it can be. We need you to RSVP, and, and so you can do that on the app. It's free, of course, uh, but we do need you to reserve a ticket for the service that you and your family or your friends are going to be coming to, and here's our commitment to you. We will have as many services as we need to have so that everyone can have a Christmas service to attend, all right? So I've told our team, just let me know how many we're having, and we'll have enough singers and musicians and volunteers, and I'll preach as many times as we need to so that everyone can be a part of a service. But it's first come, first serve. And like I said, three of them have already filled up. And so right now, like go ahead and do it right now uh, and reserve your spot for those services. And if and when those fill up, we are fully expecting those two, then we'll add some more and we'll figure it out, whatever we need to do. But we want to spend Christmas together. We want to do it responsibly uh, and safely, but we want to spend Christmas together. So we're going to do that. Uh, reserve your spot. And then also, speaking of using the app to register, uh, the second thing going on is our Hope for the City Christmas Food Box Giveaway. And uh, we need your help. We're giving away 200 food boxes. And these food boxes feed a family of four for a month. This is a, a pretty great uh, box of food that we give to people who just need some assistance during this time. And, and we could probably all use a little assistance, but especially people who just need some assistance during this time, we're going to give that away. So we're packing these boxes and then also uh, giving them away. And that's happening on December the 19th. And so a great way to give back. I think 
you know, depending on the age of your kids, this would be a great thing to do together as a family uh, because you're really going to help some people. And, uh, and so register on the app. We need to know who's serving in that as well so that we can, um, we can make the plans. And as I was just looking over the notes and thinking about this event, I was reminded again of how generous a church you are. I want to just say thank you and commend you for your generosity and, and not just your money, but your heart, um, the way that you look to help people, the way that you serve. I've been the pastor here now 12 plus years um, and been at the church for 15. And there's, that's always been a mark, a defining mark of Hope City Church has been our heart to help people. And Pastor Joe gave me these numbers earlier uh, just this year. Just this year, in in 2020, with everything that's been going on, as easy as it would have been for you to look after you and only you, just this year, uh, Hope City Church has given away $4,000 in immediate assistance. People who had an immediate need, uh, bills or things that were were, uh, potentially a huge problem for them, we were able to spend $4,000, give away $4,000 to help in a number of ways there. $11,000 this church has given away towards church planting and missions, just helping people start new churches, helping missionaries uh, to to do their work overseas. And then $19,000 has been given uh, away from Hope City to, to specific local outreaches. And obviously our, our biggest partnership is with uh, South Louisville Community Ministries. And we're one of their, their, their main sponsors. And so $19,000 to help meet the needs of the community. And so let me do some quick math. What is that? Thirty, $34,000. $34,000 this year in 2020 that you have given that we have used to, to try to help people. And, and we're going to continue to do that. And so thank you for your generosity. Christmas services and the food box giveaway. Make sure you use the app and let us know you're coming. I know we can't see each other face-to-face right now, uh, but, but use technology. Let us know you're coming, and we'll continue to be the church together, all right? So let's uh, get into the message. We are continuing uh, this series called Living on Empty, where we are taking a few weeks to talk about how to refill your soul when life is overwhelming. How to refill your soul when life is overwhelming. And I, I have enjoyed this series. I've enjoyed teaching it. I hope you've enjoyed it too, because... Uh, it just feels timely. It feels timely. Uh, we're, we're all to a certain extent living and leading our families or businesses on, uh, on reserve. You've probably battled emotions you're unfamiliar with this year or thoughts that you've had that have scared you that maybe you haven't had before or had in a long time. If you're, if you're a parent, I'd be willing to bet you have snapped at your kids this year more or more passionately than you have maybe uh, in the past, more than you're used to. I, I'm even going to guess, I know, I know y'all are saved and everything, but I'm even going to guess you've lied to your boss about why you can't make that Zoom call that you're supposed to be on and how the internet's not working or whatever it is. It's working for Netflix, not Zoom. I don't know what's going on with the internet. You've probably lied about that a little bit too, right? It's just been a tough year. It's just been a tough year, and, and from the looks of things, it looks like it's going to continue being challenging for a while. Who knows what's going to happen, but it looks like it's probably going to be challenging for a while. But I love something that I read on social media this week, um, that someone just had a simple post, and, and it said, 2020 hasn't been a hard year for God. I love that. I thought that was such an encouraging reminder. 2020 
has not been a hard year for God. It's been a hard year for you and for me, but it hasn't been a hard year for God. I needed that reminder. Maybe you need that reminder. That God is not just barely holding on, trying to keep it together. He's not, you know, waiting on updates from the latest CDC guidelines or the, the latest press conference. He's not, he's not trying to piece something together. He is in complete control. He's in just as much control as he was in February of this last year, uh, as he is right now and as he will be. Uh, he's in control. And, and just a great reminder. We started this series by admitting that we're weaker than we think we are, but prayer will help us more than we think it will. Just spending some time talking about prayer. And then we talked about how stillness is a choice, prayer is a gift, peace is a promise, more continuing that idea of prayer, but not just prayer, but prayer and, and stillness. Then we talked about the challenges of mental illness and depression and the, the scary cycle of intimidation, isolation, and imagination, how that runs wild on us. You've probably experienced that. Last week, Pastor Joe did an amazing job talking about the rules of life that we, that we live by. Um, my wife and I, our kids, were driving back home from Thanksgiving, having church in the car. Or maybe you're having church in the car right now. Uh, just an amazing job by Pastor Joe. And, 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 he, and he reminded us and showed us how what empties us will never be able to refill us. We've got to change some rules of life. And so uh, that was great. So this week, I just want to talk about disappointment. I want to talk about disappointment, specifically how do we deal with it, because we're having to deal with it. Maybe, maybe you've been disappointed in yourself this year. Maybe you've been disappointed in, in someone close to you. Maybe you've been disappointed in leaders and politicians and news outlets. Maybe you've been disappointed at the way that people responded to, to things that you responded to differently. Maybe you've been disappointed with your church or your pastor. Maybe you've been disappointed with God. But all of us at some level have had to deal with a lot of disappointment. And so I think an important question is, does someone whose faith is in Jesus deal with disappointment differently than those who don't have Jesus? Because we're all going to deal with disappointment. But does someone who has faith in Jesus... As their Savior, as the Lord of their life, do they, do we deal disappointment differently than people who don't have Jesus? Well, I believe we do. I believe we do. And I was looking through some notes uh, in one of my journals. I keep, I, I keep a lot of journals, and I, or I write in a lot of journals. I keep them, and I love that for so many reasons. But I was looking through one of my journals this week, and um, from back in 2016... There was a sermon, I was at an event in, in uh, Maryland, there was a sermon by an older pastor from Baltimore, and it was filled with just so much wisdom and life advice, and, and I'm, I'm definitely in that season of life, have been for a while now, that like, when I can find an older, uh, you know, man who loves Jesus, loves his wife, his kids love Jesus, don't hate the church, I just want to get around that guy, you know, and just, hey, pour into me, and so I, I was just listening so intently, it was a, an amazing message, and I... You know, I forgot about it after a while, but I was looking through these notes and just had uh, a really encouraging experience looking back over these notes. And I, I want to share this with you just really quickly because it was so impactful in the room that day. And it was, again, when I read it this week. And the, the pastor who was sharing, he gave five things that will disappoint you in life. Maybe you want to write these down. Five things that will disappoint you in life. I think these are true for everybody. In no particular order, but the first thing that will disappoint you is delay. Delay. 
thinking you're going to be somewhere sooner than you get there, thinking God's going to move faster than you want him to move, um, th- thinking that uh, COVID's going to end. Have you, have you done this? And I know we're, we're well into it now, but at least for a while, I kept moving the, the like, well, yeah, it's bad, but timeline, well, yeah, we'll have this, or it'll be fine by this, or it'll be fine by this, or we'll be back in school, or it just kept moving and moving, just delay, delay, it's so disappointing. The second thing that'll disappoint you, he said, was difficulties, difficulties. This could look a lot of different ways. Maybe it's physical health. Maybe it's the health of a parent you're taking care of. Difficulties you're dealing with, job, finances, uh, special needs child, learning disabilities. You know, that's the, that's the, the extreme end. The, the small end is just even the difficulty of having to live life through the internet and Zoom right now. Like that's maybe on the small end, but, but these are difficulties. Third thing he said disappoints you is drain, drain. And he described drain as just that feeling that every day when you wake up, when you lay down in bed, you feel more empty than you woke up. You start, you woke up with five coins in your pocket and when you lay down, you feel like you've given them all away. You've given away your energy, you've given away your love, your time, your attention, your skill set, you've given it away and you don't ever feel replenished, you're just drained All the time. Maybe you feel that way. He said, this is an incredibly disappointing thing to experience. The fourth thing he said, uh, you're getting the theme here. They're all Ds. The fourth thing he said that will disappoint you in your life is decline. Decline. That if you're responsible for something and instead of it growing or even maintaining, it's getting worse. Maybe your bank account is declining. Maybe your physical health is declining. Maybe the uh, intimacy in your marriage is declining. Maybe whatever, whatever it is, it's just, it's less than it was. That's incredibly disappointing. And then the last thing he said that we'll deal with in our life that is disappointing is departures. Departures. Someone you thought was with you that decides not to be with you. A spouse that said they t- loved you till death do you part. And then they said, I changed my mind. A boss that said, you're going to have a job, but then you don't have the job anymore. Departures. And so delay, difficulties, drain, decline, departures. These are things this pastor on that day back in 2016 was sharing. And I'm certain that all of us can relate to one, if not all, of that list right there. And the biggest danger of disappointment is if we stay there long enough, it can cause us to lose, to lose faith. Disappointment eventually turns into to doubt. We lose faith in ourselves, yes, but ultimately we lose faith in God. Now, maybe you wouldn't say, maybe you'd say, I'm not close to losing my faith in God. Like, I'm not going to walk away from God. Maybe it's not all in one piece like that, but certain different parts of your life, you begin to doubt or lose faith in God. Maybe God can handle this part of life, but he can't handle this part because... Look at what's happened, right? And faith, or we could say really, or you could define it, maybe it's even momentum in life. is such a funny thing because when you have it, you feel like you're never going to lose it. But when you don't have it, you feel like you're never going to find it. Isn't that true? When it comes to that spiritual momentum in your life, or faith, it's like, man, when you got it, man, you're, you're just making declarations and promises to God and dreaming about the future. And it's like, it's going to be this good forever. 
But when you don't have it, when you can't find answers to your questions, when you feel like you're in a dark tunnel, it feels like you're never going to get out of it. But it's not true. Because you probably know by now, if you don't, pay attention because I'm about to tell you something really true right here. Life has its ebbs and flows. Discouragement comes in waves, just like encouragement comes in waves. Discouragement comes in waves. Car trouble comes in waves. Health problems come in waves. Heartbreak comes in waves and everything else for that matter. It's, it's, it's an ebb and a flow. And each week during this series, we've been reading the invitation of Jesus in Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Jesus said this, then Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens. And this is what he promises us. He says, and I will give you more work. And that's not what he says. He says, I'm going to give you rest. And the only thing that we have to do in this promise is come. That's it. We, we just got to come to Jesus and we can find that rest. And it's an amazing promise on its own. That's why we've read it every week. We can come to God and receive rest from our heavy burdens. But what makes this verse even better is the story that happened before these words, the story that caused Jesus to say these words makes this promise even better than just a general promise that we can come to God and find rest. And that's what I want us to do today is look at that story. It's in Matthew chapter 11, obviously, at the very beginning, or that's how the chapter ends, the promise of rest. But at the very beginning, Jesus has an encounter with John the Baptist, but John the Baptist isn't there. John the Baptist sends disciples of his. He sends people John the Baptist can't come. We'll talk about that in a second. But in essence, what you're having is you're having a conversation between Jesus and John the Baptist. And what you need to know about John the Baptist is he was Jesus' cousin. He was a relative of Jesus. Not only was he a relative, but he was a prophet considered to be one of the greatest prophets Matter of fact, later in 11, Matthew 11, we won't read it, but later in Matthew 11, Jesus said, no greater prophet has ever shown up. So, so he's a relative of Jesus, he's a great prophet, and he has some questions for Jesus. In verse 2, Matthew 11, verse 2, John the Baptist, who was in prison, that's key, heard about all the things the Messiah was doing, so he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the Messiah we've been expecting, or should we keep looking for someone else? This is such an interesting question because 18 months earlier, you don't have to find it, but 18 months earlier, John saw Jesus coming towards him in John 1, 29. And this is what John the Baptist said about Jesus 18 months earlier. He saw Jesus. He said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So John the Baptist sees Jesus 18 months earlier and says, there he is. There's the Son of God, the Messiah. There he is. Now, 18 months later, he's sending people because he's not sure that's true. He's doubting. And he's doubting because he's disappointed. So what happened? Well, the, 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 the statement, who was in prison, kind of tells us what's ha- what happened. But 
You can read all about it in Matthew 14 if you want. I would encourage you to do that. But the quick version of the story is that John the Baptist was doing what preachers do. He was preaching. And he was calling people out for their sins. And he was challenging people to to follow God and not to sin and to to do their own thing. Uh, But he made the mistake of telling the king that the king shouldn't be sleeping with whoever he wants. And so... The, and, and being with whoever he wants, and so the, the wife or the soon-to-be wife of the king um, or the leader arrested, had John arrested, and eventually he was beheaded for it. He was just doing what he was supposed to do, doing what he was known for doing, preaching. It got him arrested, eventually got him killed. So put yourself in John's shoes. He's the cousin of Jesus. He's a prophet who baptized Jesus. He's preaching and teaching, and he ends up in prison. And he knows, even though it hasn't happened in Matthew 11, but it does by Matthew 14, he knows he's headed to death. Sitting in a dungeon thinking about being beheaded has a way of causing you to doubt God. (laughs) Right? Uh, knowing you're probably going to die, knowing that you're probably never getting out of prison, it's cold, the floor is hard, you smell, the food's terrible. It's not necessarily the most ideal environment for God is good all the time, all the time God is good. Somebody says, in the dungeon, God is good, and somebody goes, are you sure? It's a new chant we don't want to pick up, but. Now, you may have never been sitting in a dungeon, but you have sat in hospital waiting rooms. Or you've had to quarantine by yourself in a bedroom. Or you've had to wait for your name to be called in a courtroom. And it's not a dungeon, and maybe it's not total darkness, but the reality, the spiritual, emotional reality is the same. Somebody's like, God is good. And you say, are you sure? I don't know. Cancer. Foreclosure, medical bills, divorce, unemployment, underachieving, tragedy. They all have a way of causing us to doubt things about God that we used to be so sure of. We were sure of it. We were certain. And that's what happened to John the Baptist. John the Baptist was asking, are you really the Messiah? That was what he was asking. But let me tell you what he was really asking. Are you going to get me out of jail? what he was asking he was asking are you God which is the question that we ask but he was really asking are you going to get me out of jail and we do the same thing are you going to heal me are you going to get me that job are you going to fix my marriage are you going to reach my kids are are you God is really the surface level question for are you going to do what I need you to do and what I always assumed you would do because I always heard that you loved me and you're good. And so we've all wondered that. And Jesus does give John the Baptist an answer. And we don't always get answers from God for our questions, but I think a lot of times we do. We just don't like the answer. So this is what it says in Matthew 11, verse 4. We're still reading the story. Jesus told the disciples of John the Baptist, he says, go back to John and tell him what you've heard and seen. The blind see, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is bring preached to the poor. Jesus is referencing an Old Testament prophecy scripture. John the Baptist would know it because he knew his scripture. He's, he's, he's 
telling John the Baptist, in essence, I am the Messiah. I am fulfilling these things. And then Jesus adds this last little line. He says, God blesses those who do not fall away because of me. That's what the New Living Translation says, what we read most of the time around here. But NIV and older translations say it like this. Jesus said, blessed are those who are not offended because of me. I like that better. I mean, I don't like it, but it reads better. Blessed are those who are not offended because of me. Isn't it true that when you're disappointed, good news about other people that should make you feel better instead makes you feel worse? It's, it's true, and we don't want to admit it, but it's true. Like, you should be celebrating your friend getting married or getting pregnant or getting a promotion or being cancer-free. But when your soul feels like it's in a dungeon, it doesn't encourage you. It offends you. You're broke. Your friend gets a promotion, but he already had money or she already had money. Now they get more money. You just need a little bit of money. Like, even if you kind of high-five them and you're like, wow, so happy for you, you're really more offended than you are happy for them. People get healed of cancer. Your parent, your spouse doesn't. People find love. You find out you're getting cheated on. And these moments, like, yeah, we want to celebrate. We want to be encouraged. God is good, evidently, but it doesn't feel like he's good to us. He's good for everyone else. And if I could paraphrase what Jesus was saying... In that last statement, when when he said, blessed are those who are not offended because of me, Jesus was saying, John, I'm not coming to get you. But just because I don't do what you want doesn't mean I don't know what I'm doing. This is kind of our big idea for our message today, that just because God doesn't do what you want doesn't mean he doesn't know what he's doing. Well, let's say that one again. Just because... God doesn't do what you want doesn't mean he doesn't know what he's doing. It's uh, in my house, we have, you know, I have four kids and I talk about them a lot. And, um, but I ask the kids a question all the time because they so annoyingly uh, keep questioning me about things. Or they like freak out about things that they don't need to freak out about. And I always ask them this question, um, when I'm try, done trying to rationalize with them or, you know, I always say, do you trust me? Do you trust me? Will you just trust me? I, I, know, I know you're freaking out because you think there's no more milk and you want cereal, but will you just trust me? I, I know you think that your sister never gets in trouble and you're the one who always gets in trouble. Will you just trust me? Sometimes when I'm feeling extra spunky, I'll say to the older kids, give me one example when I have not done what you've needed me to do. Well, and, you know, they'll try to give one. It's not a good one. (laughs) The point I'm trying to remind them of in that moment, and they don't want to hear it, is that I haven't done everything you've always wanted me to do. But I know what I'm doing. Now, I'm not perfect because I'm an earthly father. God, our heavenly father, is perfect. But even just from an earthly father perspective, I know what I'm doing. 
in these trivial matters that you're worried about. I don't know what I'm doing in every matter, but I can get milk from the grocery store. So if you'll just trust me, we are going to the grocery store a little bit later. Calm down. Your sister will get in trouble. I am going to talk to your teacher. We will find your cleats before practice. I know what I'm doing. And that little image is just, I think, so relevant to you and I and our relationship with God. That we're just like, I can't find my cleats. I can't find my cleats. I'm not going to be able to go to practice. How am I going to? And God's like, do you trust me? Do you trust me? And that's really the question for you and me, isn't it? When life is awful, do we trust that God knows what he's doing? I want to read a few more verses to you that I think are really important. And then... um, we're going we're gonna to wrap this up. <clears throat> but because Jesus, the whole setup for Matthew 11 is, is John the Baptist wanting to get out of prison and wondering if Jesus really is God's son. And, and he, he, he kind of assumes if he is, he would want to get him out of prison. And, and so after John's disciples leave, Jesus says in verse 16, you've got to skip down a little bit. But Jesus says, to what can I compare this generation? It's like children playing a game in the public square. They complain to their friends, we played wedding songs and you didn't dance. So we played funeral songs and you didn't mourn. Now, there's just a, Jesus was referencing again something older. And, and, and you could just pass right back by that. But, there was, but it's so important to what the point that Jesus is making in this chapter. Here's what Jesus was saying. Is he was saying, you get disappointed because you think you can make me do what you want me to do. You think if you play happy songs, I'll dance for you. You think if, I, if you play sad songs, I'll mourn for you. And we do this all the time. I went to church, God. Why aren't my kids saved? I tithed, God. Why am I still broke? I prayed, God. Why are they still sick? I mean, I did what I was supposed to do, God. Why aren't you dancing? Jesus says, like, this is what y'all act like. And it wasn't just that generation. It's every generation, and it's you and me. And I love that the Bible gives me stories like this one to remind me that even Jesus' cousin, the prophet, was disappointed with where his life was headed. Maybe you feel like you're disappointed with where your life is headed. So was John the Baptist. And so Jesus deals with John's questions. He addresses the people's expectations. And then he says in verse 28, So come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I'll give you rest. I I would paraphrase 28 like this. I may not have the answers you want, but I have rest. I may not have the outcomes you want, but I have rest. I may not change what you want, but I can give you rest. So what do we do with disappointment? How is disappointment different for you and me who have a faith in Jesus than someone who doesn't? Well, what makes disappointment different for the believer is that we get to go to God with our disappointment. If you don't have faith in Jesus, 
where do you go? You could go to your counselor, nothing wrong with that. You could go to your parents, your best friends. You could go to your journal, that's fine. But for the believer, we get to go to God with our disappointment. He said, come to me. When he was talking about heavy burden, he didn't just mean you have a really tiring job that is, you know, manual labor. He was talking about the burdens that come from life's questions that are unexplainable and disappointment and letdown that is unbearable. He's talking about the kind of heavy burden that comes from sitting in dungeons wondering where your life is headed and how you never thought you'd end up here. He says, come to me. And so you and I get the opportunity to bring our questions to God. Bring your questions to God. I'm on this kick right now about questioning my questions. Because a lot of times we think the premise of a question is the answer. And so I'll think, I'll have some clever question. I think I've discovered something. I haven't, I just have a question. And I'm trying to question my questions. And so I, I, I'm asking a lot more questions in prayer right now. Because I want to bring my questions to God. He may answer me, he may not, but, but it's the best place to go with my questions. I don't want to just take my questions to God, I want to bring my expectations to God. I'm going to run the risk of being disappointed, but I don't want disappointment to kill hopes and dreams and faith. I want to keep expectations high, prayers big and bold. And come to God and say, God, here's what I want. Here's what's in my heart. You already know what's in my heart. You already know what's in my mind. You already know my desires. You already know what I want to accomplish with my life. You already know what I'm hoping that I will have done by 40 you know my financial goals, God. You know my personal ambitions. You, you know what I want for my kids. You, you know what I want for the church, God. And I don't want to throw away expectation because I'm afraid of being disappointed. Instead, what I want to do is I want to bring you my expectations. And say, if this is what you want, then that's what I want too. But if it's not what you want, then I need you to work on me because it's what I want right now. And I want to want what you want. And so... Help me change my expectations. Not get rid of them, but change them. And so we bring questions, we bring our expectations, but then we get to bring our burdens to God. Get to bring our burdens to God. Just those heavy, frustrating, annoying, cry yourself to sleep. I can't carry this on my own anymore. We get to bring them to God. Not for answers potentially or solutions potentially, but just because we get to bring them to God and leave them with him and walk in a rest and a yoke that's easy. And... um, (laughs) As I was typing out some of these words this week, I was remembering uh, an old song from way back. Some of y'all don't know, and I'm so glad YouTube didn't exist, but I used to sing Southern gospel music with my family as a little kid. My dad was a preacher. And there was this old song that uh, it said, Leave it there, leave it there. Take your burdens to the Lord and leave it there. If you'll trust and never doubt, he will surely bring you out. Take your burdens to the Lord and leave them there. They got half of it right. 
we do get to leave it there. And, and the Bible doesn't promise that if we will trust and never doubt, he will surely bring us out in this life. Now, it does promise that for every believer, we eventually get out of the dungeon. But I can't promise you in this life that he will surely bring you out of whatever it is that you are disappointed with. But I can promise you that you can go to him and you can leave it there. And because you have Jesus and I have Jesus, we get to go to God with our burdens, our expectations, and our questions. And we get to leave it there. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that you sent your son, God in the flesh, to this earth to show us what it looks like to have a relationship with you, to know you, but at the same time have to struggle and feel and face everything that this world throws in our way. And so thank you, God, that Jesus modeled for us what it looks like to talk to you, to be with you, to trust you, while at the same time wondering why he feels forsaken or brokenhearted. God, you sent Jesus to the earth to become like us so that we could eventually become like you, like him. So God, I pray that you would help each and every person listening to me right now to take the heavy burdens that are on their shoulders and to take them off and to leave them at the cross and to leave them at your feet. We want answers. We probably won't get the ones we want. We have dreams and hopes for our lives, but God, if our expectations are not the right expectations, we need you to help us change our expectations. God, we have burdens that we can't carry anymore and they're, they're weighing us down so substantially that we cannot live our life. We can't remember the last time we had joy and peace and hope. So God, we're bringing them to you and we're laying them down and we're leaving them at the cross. And so God, I pray that we would stop trying to be our own solution. I pray that the doubts that have We've convinced ourselves in our mind or in our heart, we've convinced ourselves of some clever question or resigned ourselves to, to lacking faith in certain areas of our life where it didn't turn out the way we wanted to. God, I pray that we would begin to rediscover that faith again, that belief again, that trust again, and that even though you're not doing what we want you to do, we can trust you know what you're doing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.